How's everybody this morning? Right? It's good to be here. My name's Trey. I'm one of the elders here. And um, our, our lead pastor, Chris, is currently in Israel. I'm really jealous of that. He's with his family. Um, he is on a sabbatical, uh, well-deserved one over the past. Uh, uh, Resonate's been around for almost 10 years, and, and Chris and his family are planned a sabbatical two years ago, but now uh, because of COVID and all sorts of different things, we, we, he had to punt that and now is out there and for the next three months doing that, which means that it falls on us as the elders to have uh, the opportunity to teach every week throughout the summer. And we have chosen to talk about uh, the book of Ephesians. And we started that last week. Um, and uh, it's unique because uh, for, for us as elders, we don't get to preach, but maybe every like four to five weeks. And um, what's, what's interesting about doing it two weeks in a row, know it super well. Um, and uh, so I want to share a little bit before we get started, just kind of like where my head's been at. So when I think about the, the, the book of Ephesians, the, the story in the Gospels that I, I'm just reminded of, because of the context of the groups of people that are found in the Church of Asia that this letter is written to, is uh, the, the story of the prodigal son. So for some of you that grew up in church, you know this story. It's one of the most more popular stories, the parables that, that are told and taught on. But those of you who didn't grow up in the church, you probably have heard this story. The story starts off with a picture of this family where a son goes to his father and asks his father for his inheritance early. And he goes out and lives the world that he wants to live, full of all sorts of things that you shouldn't be doing. And all of a sudden he wakes up after a time and he looks around at his life and he realizes that he squandered everything that his father wanted for him. And that the life he lived was definitely not one where he would be waking up beside pig troughs and just unsure of what life would look like. I don't know about you, but for many of us, we, we, we may have that part of that story of when God met us, they met us, he met us when we were in our lowest of lows. So the son decides that he's gonna return to his family with the hope of not becoming a son, he, he knows that, that he's already messed this up. So he just hopes that he would be welcomed in as a servant. So cut scene to a father, a father that I can imagine for day in and day out would go outside. For some reason, I don't put it into like the context of, uh, you know, ancient Israel. I put this in the context of the, the West and the father coming out with his coffee cup. And he just goes out to that front porch with one hope every morning is that he would see his son cresting over that hill far into the horizon. Every morning, nothing, every morning. But the same hope every morning that his son would return. And then one morning, cresting over that hill was that son. He is, he's, he is muddy. He is, he is just travel worn and all of this. Son comes and the father bolts to him. And I can imagine the son, all of a sudden the father like running and was like, is there trepidation in this? Is there, is this like, what is, what is he doing? He, he's full of grief and sorrow, but as the father runs to him and embraces him. 
And what we know is that the son then repents and, and, and basically says, I'm sorry, uh, please forgive me, accept me back into your, the home as a servant. And the father turns around to his own servants. So I can imagine hollering from, from, from way beyond the hill, he's yelling to his servants. He says, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on this man's hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. One of the most beautiful things about the scriptures is how God does the unexpected all the time in order to fulfill his plans and purposes. Cutscene again that night. Now we've got this party that is just going on. I can imagine everybody's having a good time. The band's playing, all of this. But an oldest son, the one that should have received the inheritance in the first place, sitting outside, pouting. He's not coming into the party and his father comes up to him. He's like, what are you doing? And I can hear this old, this, this elder son as he says, look, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured, who, who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And the father says to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is found. You see the story of Ephesians and much of Paul's writings is about how is it that these, these two groups of people, the Gentiles and the Jews, the Jews who had this message and this awesome, like, like they, they've had this story and then how the Gentiles who were unknown to that story, how do they come together and be the church in Christ? Henry Nowen, in his work, The Return of the Prodigal Son, a book, actually looks at this amazing image, um, uh, a painting by Rembrandt, where he saw this Return of the Prodigal Son painting, and, and he was just overwhelmed with emotion and wrote this whole book about it, where, where he unpacks the different ways that the characters are related to it, where you have the son here who, I mean, just, I just love the emotion that these shoes that were halfway on and halfway off, and the, and the father just gently embracing his son, but then you also have the eldest son looking on. And one of the things that, that, that Henry Nowen asks is, is what character are you, are you to play here? And, and, and his challenge is that we are all supposed to be pursuing the way of becoming like the father. I can't help though to see this letter playing out in this way. We have to remember that these letters are in the context of other people doing church, that they are experiencing and hearing these stories of Jesus. So I can imagine the Gentiles hearing this and being like, yes, this is us. We are that lost son. We are, we've understood the impact of sin on our lives and, and we are becoming aware of our circumstance and that they see Christ as this father welcoming them back with open arms and unconditional love, giving them the fullness of their inheritance. But this Jewish Christian in the room that struggles with the fact that for so long they did all the right things and struggling with, so do we have to continue doing those things? And that, that was so big part of my identity and they were confused and frustrated and selfish that this is where this is all playing out. But the story in the opening letter of the Ephesians calls us to identify with the heart of the Father. Knowing that in Christ, the love we share and the faith we have in Jesus is an undeserved inheritance. No matter how much we have done, 
or what we have done or what we feel like that we've done to earn it. Sometimes though, when you approach teaching the text, um, when we approach it as, 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 as elders, when we, when we dive in, we, we'll study the words of the original languages. We'll dive deep into communities. But this morning's message is a little bit different. For me, as I was preparing for this, this is one of those sermons that just come together in about 30 minutes. Because I feel like that there's a message that God wants us to hear as a church and as a body. You see, I believe that we are on the tail end of what will be known as the new Renaissance. Not since the days of the printing press and and, and the Protestant Reformation have we seen everything in our lives shift and change under a generation. If you think about it, many of this room, we've moved from libraries of knowledge, knowledge to web pages and Wikipedia. We've ditched letter writing completely for emails, texts, memes, and horrible handwriting. We missed uh, grandparents have seen their kids, their, their kids' grandchildren more often than ever because of the fact that FaceTime allows them to be able to do it. And the jobs that many of us right now have probably didn't exist when we were in preschool. And most likely, many of us, the jobs we have, didn't even exist when we were in high school. You see, this type of renaissance has disrupted culture. It has, it has completely upended value systems. It's completely changed definitions. It's, it's, it's to split our worldview in, in so many different ways. So it only makes sense that, that because of that, we, we as a people, as humans, we're now, if you kick an anthill like that, all of a sudden we're searching for meaning, we're searching for calling, we're searching for ways to, to find out what is, it, our, what is our role in the world. So we talk about things like strength inventories or, or, or personality tests or Enneagram numbers and all of these things to try and find how do we best fit. But here's the thing. When we talk about calling, sometimes we as, as uh, people, we talk about calling and, and, and oftentimes we just go straight to our job. But Paul, in this particular passage that we're going to be looking at, in the second half of of chapter one, is gonna say, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know the hope to which you have been called. Now in the ancient Greek, the idea of calling, the word call is the word voca. Now for for those of us, like when you think about voca, most of the people are gonna think about vocation. And vocation for us means job, but actually this is where one of those words has changed its meaning over time. Voca, if you were gonna talk about a job in the ancient Greek, you would have said avoca or avoca. In other words, a way of working out your calling, your avocation, not your vocation. Actually, your vocation was your greater sense of calling. It is your deeper purpose. And what we have learned is that in this text is that we are then called to hope. But what does that hope look like? So through Ephesians, we're going to be looking at how is it, how do we define what does it mean to be in Christ? But today we are going to be focusing on this. We are called to be a chosen people of hope, the church who has been transformed by the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. Let's pray real quick. Father, as we open your scriptures, we ask that you would remind us of our calling and our hope in you. We ask that you lead us and direct us. You stir in our hearts. 
conviction and also affirmation of what does it mean to be in Christ. Amen. So we are going to be starting in Ephesians 1, starting where we left off last week, which is in verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So looking at the grammar here, he's going to say, for this reason. For what reason? That he, that he doesn't stop giving thanks and praying for this community. So why is he doing this? Because of two things. This community, this church, the church in Asia, being known for their faith in Christ and their love towards other. Now, what does faith in Christ mean? Well, we can say those of you who have, who have given your life in faith to Christ, but for those of us who grow up here in, in the United States and don't really have much of, uh, about uh, perspective about what it's like to follow Christ in other areas, it's pretty much a cush lifestyle. At some level, we live as the bougie Christian in the world. But faith in Christ at this time was a very different type of commitment. It was one where you had to actually step, like step away from your family if you were a Jewish Christian. You would no longer be connected to all the things that used to matter for you, all the things that you would have to do in order to, to find atonement and the systems that were built up and, and paying respect and all these sorts of things. You would have to leave all of that. Your family would actually disown you. And for those Gentiles in, the, in this space, they're most likely being, uh, they're, they're now having to live in a way that is very different from the world that they're being lived, that, that, that's living around them. Not only that, a lot of their belief, which we'll talk about in a little bit, is, is going to be challenging the systems which cause persecution and alienation and all sorts of things, that the life of faith in Christ that Paul is commending them here is one that is going to be, uh, that, that has a lot of risk involved but also they were known for their love towards one another. That the thing that he constantly is grateful for is that, is, is that their, their love towards one another. And throughout Paul's writings, you have this as, as a piece of thanksgiving and prayer in many of the books where, where Paul is almost on repeat saying the similar things. Now, it's not just because like he, he likes those phrases, but rather he's trying to cultivate a culture inside of the church as he's reminding them. One of my favorite um, sayings that I say all the time in the work that I do is you cultivate what you celebrate. I work with, with companies and brands to think through their values and how is that deployed in order to, for customers and all sorts of people to, to feel like that they understand what does that culture look like? And you cultivate what you celebrate. We here at Resonate, we have different values that we celebrate and we do that through our storytelling moments. But I think one of the questions as we're engaging this is what does your church, this church, and also your community, your life group, or even your family group, or even your friends at work, what do you celebrate in faith and how then are you cultivating that? So for my family, we, we do things like sit around at dinner and we'll, we, we have a no screens thing that most of the time we are pretty good about. And, and, and we, we ask the boys, what questions do you have about God? And we, we go into the Bible and we read, read little pieces of scripture to, to, to kind of affirm that. Or when I, my, my boys, uh, because they're boys and this is what they do, they always get in arguments and they pick on each other and they have to say, I'm sorry. But we don't want them to just say, oh, it's Okay. We teach our boys to say, I forgive you because we want them to have this practice that when someone says sorry, it's more than just being okay. It's actually releasing them in forgiveness as Jesus does in us. 
Because you cultivate what you celebrate, being intentional with your words, being intentional with the rhythms that you have in your life, whether it be Sabbath or whether it be different things that, that help encourage the gospel in your family or think about within our life groups. I love seeing some of the things that happen in our life groups around sharing our resources. This happens a lot. Free at Resonate, right? Like this is a Slack channel that's, that's inside of our community. And you know, the Rows, they're, they're always like posting all sorts of stuff to give away for free. It's awesome. But one of the things that we also do that we, when it comes to like how we love each other is to, to emotionally care for each other. I've seen it play out so much in our community that, that I want, I want the, the community of God to be known for how we do love each other, not only by providing for the needs of the physical needs that someone needs, but also the emotional and spiritual needs that someone has. But I also want to, to, to point out that what Paul is trying to put here is not only are you known together as that, but you're known in the world as that because to just give stuff away, I mean, I know my wife's on buy nothing all the time and that's a thing, but like the truth is, 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 is we should be known as the church that, that helps figure out how do we meet the needs of those around us? Or like in your job, can you, can you be a light of hope, celebrating faith, Things like risk and, and, and value-centered leadership and, and love like selflessness and sacrifice in order to point people and to plant seeds of the gospel. Why do you celebrate these things when you're at work? Well, let me tell you about what's motivating my life. The marks of a hope-filled community are ones that are, have strong faith in Christ and also love for one another. We'll keep going in verse 17. Remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. This is one of the few verses in the scriptures where we actually see the Trinity played out all in one verse. Pretty cool, right? Lord Jesus Christ, Father of glory and the spirit of wisdom and revelation. All of these things wrapped up in the knowledge of the gospel. See, it's common for us in a world that's volatile and, and, and always curious about where is it going next, it's common for us to seek God for direction in our lives. However, I want to challenge us to think about hope in the things that God has accomplished, because I think that's what Paul is trying to do here. No matter how much we want to plan our lives, God has a plan already for us. So I know that for many people, a prayer like, God, would you direct my steps? Or, or God, would you reveal your path for me? Which is, which is a good prayer. But how often do we praise God for what he has already done? And I'm not just talking about just in your life, but the bigger picture of what he has done, the inheritance that he has given us, the, the fact that he has given us a way to, to be redeemed, a way for us to find faith in Christ, and then a way for us to live lives of freedom out of that. You see, it's, it's a good prayer, but at the same time, I wonder what does it look like to, be, to pray in this way, to be directed in the steps that he's already made for your life. It's about, giving, uh, his, it's, about, it's about being given his wisdom and knowledge for your life. Matthew 6, 9 through 10, it's the, the Lord's Prayer. It says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Certainly we can hope for the life that, that we want. Yeah, we can do that. 
But what is in more greater hope is the hope for the life that God wants for us. You see, later in, 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 the, in chapter three, Paul is gonna say that, that, you, that God can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. The truth is, is do you really believe that to your core? core? If I was left up to planning my life, I guarantee you it would not be as exciting and awesome as God has made it. And here's the thing, I, I came to faith when I was 13. I felt called to the ministry when I was 14. That's what I thought I was gonna do in my life. I learned to play the guitar. I thought I was gonna be a worship pastor. I thought that's what I was gonna do. So then all of a sudden I learned that I loved like creative work. So I started video editing in college, met my wife on the second night that I was at Clemson University and ends up, what ends up happening is, is I get into the video world and I go into the church and I start doing all this video production stuff and it was so cool and that's what I thought I was gonna do, but really I wanted to be a pastor. I start to be a pastor and then what happens? God transitions my life and is like, nope, not only that, you're not gonna be a pastor, you're actually going to work at a school teaching technology to high school and middle school students. And over 10 years, he reveals to me that my calling is not necessarily my job, but my calling is to be faithful and to submit to him the life that you want. So now here I am where I have three sons, two of which were adopted from China, one of them with a significant disability. And on top of that, now we've got, I've run my own business. Who would have thought of that? When I was 22 years old, my mentor looked at me and said, if you run your own business, you're going to run it into the ground. And I was like, Okay, and I'd never imagined that that would be my life, but here I am. I could have never planned it. And I'm so glad I never planned this life because this life is so much more fruitful than it could ever have been. I have preached more here at Resonate over the past eight years than I ever had the opportunity to teach at the church that I was working at. I've shared the gospel more in the first year working at that school than I did in five years of full-time ministry. You see, God will surprise us if we would just submit to his will and purpose for our life. Verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the work of his great might? This first part about the eyes of the heart, it's a weird phrase that your eyes of the heart may be enlightened. Sometimes it's eyes of your heart may be opened. Paul is playing deeply into a Greco-Roman culture where they're searching for this hidden truth, this hidden meaning. Sound a little familiar? Something that would help guide their lives. And what Paul is saying, no, 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 no. You're the emotional part. The emotional seat in the ancient world was the heart, but also the eyes in the Greco-Roman world was the way in which you, you perceive intellect and, you, and you, you reasoned and you logic that all of these things have come together in the fullness of Christ. And they have been enlightened by the gospel to know the hope that has called you. So everything up to this point that he's talked about in, in, the, in the first part of this chapter, that, that your chosenness, your redemption, your inheritance of eternal life, holiness, all of these things have enlightened you and opened your eyes. So those of us who grew up in the 90s in church, I want you to sing with me. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. 
I want to see you. Come on, sing louder. I want to see you. See you high and lifted up. To see you high and lifted up. Shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power in love. As we sing holy, holy, holy. I want to see you. So now did Michael W. Smith, old Smitty, did he think about like this passage when he did it? No, I don't, I don't know if it's, this is the source passage for that. But as I was going through this passage, that's the song that came to my heart. And when I lead worship and when I get into the, to the moment, I, I try and visualize myself and also visualize where God is. It's just how I meet with the Lord. And when I sing this song, I can see where God is. God is high and lifted up. He is shining in the light of his glory. He is the one who is pouring out his power and love. But what is our role to play? To sing holy, holy, holy. You see, this is, this is our position. What does it mean to be the praise of God's glory? This is, what does it mean to, to, to bask in his glory? It is to respond as hope-filled people, to know our place as worshipers, to be like that lost son at the foot of his father and being grateful every day for the way and the path that he has led for us. The truth is, is I think that oftentimes we forget that our inheritance was a promised hope that people waited for for thousands of years. And because our lives are not as risky, we throw that away sometimes or we sometimes just don't even acknowledge it. But the truth of the matter, the hope in which you have been called is literally the most hopeful message in the world that you could ever have. And it is because of that hope, that unwavering, steadfast hope, you can live in a volatile world with perfect clarity and, sure, and a sure foundation of knowing what it is and how you are to be and act in the world. I guarantee you, every week, you have this happen. Someone's like, man, this world is crazy. The answer is yes, but guess what? It's not crazy for me. I know it seems crazy, but there is a greater hope. And it can get all crazy out here with all the divisiveness and all of the polarity and all of that. But what I can do is I can say, but here's the thing. All of that is just noise compared to the fact that God has given me an inheritance that I have been graciously been given that I was completely undeserved. And because of that, I can have steadfast hope. This is how when, 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 when Matthew talks about uh, Jesus telling the parable of the sparrows and, and, and saying, you know, don't worry about tomorrow. It sounds crazy, but the reason why we don't have to worry about tomorrow is because God has had a plan from the very beginning. And during those times when it's hard and challenging to even understand that this was part of God's plan. We know that he has a plan. It's the only sure thing that we can bet on. Our hope is built on the promises which are ours in Christ. We need to know our spiritual future is based on the promises of God and find strength and courage in that hope to live in the present. Verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? 
according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but is also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We get, I mean, this passage, I mean, there's just so much in here that we can really work through. But I think the message for the church this morning, our church this morning, is to remember that according to the working of his great Mike, he did a work in Christ. Calling back to last week, our hope is in God's purpose. In last week's message, we discussed God's will and purpose for our lives. In him, we have obtained an inheritance. We, and he's speaking to both groups of people here inside of the church, have been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Our hope is in that, that God has a plan and he's worked all things to his will. And I... Sometimes that message is really hard to swallow for some people. This week, a year ago, my dad was diagnosed with lung cancer. Thought he was having a heart attack. The doctor said, we got this. On Christmas Eve, my dad passed away from lung cancer. Six months. One of the beautiful moments is we watched three church services as he was passing away. We got to worship and praise God over these moments. My dad is my best friend. But let me tell you something. If I didn't have the hope of the gospel navigating through that, I would be a mess. Because to watch a man that I love suffer like that. mm. But let me tell you something. The hope of the gospel is this. And this is a reason why I can look. And when my dad passed away in his final breath, y'all, I'm telling you what I did is I stood up and I clapped because his pain was done. And I know exactly the victory that he had. And when we get concerned over the things of this world, the things that we, we struggle with, the, the darkness in the world that we can stand up and proclaim, no, there is a greater hope here. And it is found in the execution of two things. One is the resurrected Christ and two is through the ascension of him to sit at the right hand of the father. You see, the resurrection of the Christ certainly is important. I mean, who, who, who conquers death, right? Only Jesus. But where did Jesus go? If he's still alive, where did he go? The ascension explains what Jesus is doing actively now in the community of God. He has ascended. He is at the right hand of the Father. In verse 22, or 21, we know that he's over all authority on earth, which, come on, if you're in that time of period, it's a really awkward moment because you're talking about over Caesar, right? And so that, that could cause an issue. But even now, if you think about it, he's over all things, including all the craziness that's happening. We can trust that he is the authority above all of that. The people in office, the people doing whatever. And I'm not meaning, like, don't hear me. This is not a political conversation. I'm just saying, like, we as a church can actually rest assured that no of these, no people out there that claim that they have control really actually have the end of, end, end, end of, the, the, end of the sentence. 
but Jesus does. And, it's, and if you really believe that, it, it will make awkward conversations. <laughs> and these types of claims get you persecuted. It gets you ostracized. But over that, Paul says, or right, forget all of these people. I'm talking about all of creation. In other words, Jesus has done what we have been promised. Remember last week, Paul in Ephesians is trying to pull together these strands from the story being played out in this Jewish faith a new exodus, a way to be redeemed. This witness, the the, the witness of of Christ on the cross and what he did, he is now the king over death, but he's also fully realized atonement, forgiveness of our sins as a final way to to, to deal with our death. And he sits at the right hand of the father as our high priest, that Jesus is our redeemer. He is our high priest. He is together in one. And because of that, he has fulfilled our every need. And our hope is not only in the fact that Christ has risen, but he has ascended. Knowing Faith is an amazing podcast. You should go and check it out. It's a really easy way to access theology and and doctrine. Um, They explain it so well. And they did this whole process uh, uh, around the, the Apostles' Creed. And one of the things they talked about is how often we forget that the ascension is so critical to our faith. And the Apostle Creed says he has ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the quick and the dead. He, in Hebrews 3 it says he is the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Then in 1 Peter 3, 22, he says Jesus has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, powers having been subjected to him. We can have an assured faith because we know that our God not only rose from the dead, but has not died again. And he continues to do everything, control all of the universe from the right hand of the Father. Our hope is not only in the resurrection, but it's also in God's authority that still reigns over all things. And what he wants to tell these two groups in this group is you're, 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 you're bickering between you. You are not recognizing the fact that do you know who's actually in charge here? It's not you. It's God. And we are to subject ourselves and submit our lives to him. So what does this mean for you? In a world that is constantly seeking for purpose and guidance and clarity and stability, you have found the greatest hope. The question in your life is, do people recognize that? And don't get me wrong, on this side of the cross, we are not completely and fully realized into our new selves. We still struggle with anxiety and depression. We still struggle with pride, all of these things. But as I mentioned last week, just because you struggle with them doesn't mean that the Lord doesn't want to do something with that. And part of the way that the Lord does something with that is you have to ask him because part of our, part of what we need to do is we need to lay our lives down and ask God to redeem them and to transform them. One of the, one of the horrible things that I think sometimes about the Christian faith that people just feel like that they assume is that you come to faith and now it's great. I know in my life, that's not true. I've struggled with anxiety all of my life. I love therapy. I go to therapy once a month. All the time. Been doing it for 10 years. I struggle with anger. I never knew I was a person that shouts until I had kids. But I can admit all those things 
and just keep going. Or I can put them in front of the Father and ask him to transform it. And then also for it to be a light of that transformation as the gospel being enacted in my life. I can hear the church repeating this most ancient liturgy that we say every week. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. How much of your life, just by saying those words is just monotonous. Because it is the most ancient hymn that we have. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. This is the repetition of our hope. So when we say it, even this morning, I pray that what it would do is it would stir in you. You would say it with faith and conviction. And if you can't say it with faith and conviction, you grab someone's hand and say, I need you to say this for me. It shouldn't be about a meaningless reputation in our life. It should be the source of our hope. So this is where I feel like God's had us, had me for this message, for you. If you are faced with adversity and persecution and alienation and betrayal, whether it be by the church, betrayal by the church, whether it be betrayal by a friend or, or a family member, or, or you feel like that, that your faith, because it's on display at work or wherever you are, you feel persecuted. I want you to know this. Our greater hope is in a king that lives. He ain't dead. He lives. If you in this room, like myself, struggle with depression, loneliness, anxiety, and feeling lost sometimes in a world that you just don't have really much faith in, I want you to remember that God, he is our greater hope. He is the Lamb of God who will never leave us or forsake us. He is, will be there. He's always been there. And if you are facing tremendous blessing and riches and joy in your life, no matter how good you think you got it. God is our greatest hope. He is the treasure of Christ who conquers death. Your faith and love rooted in hope of an eternal king should be palatable. People should know Jesus because of your faith. People should know Jesus because of how you love, not just yourselves, but even the wayward and the lost. Not only does he give you the gift of everlasting life, but you also have something that people don't have. And that is a gift of knowing who's in control. So do you have unwavering hope? Do you, does your life produce hope for others? Paul ends on this moment here, and we're gonna transition just a second to communion, is that we are his body. We are the fullness of his representation. To be in Christ means that we are the very image of him in the world. We are melded together to, as one in him as the church. We, he alone is the authority who has the greatest plan for our lives. He has a purpose and calling that is greater for us. Our role is only to submit to him, his plan, and to one another in faith and love. We are called to act like the father in Rembrandt's painting. Embracing those who are wayward and loving them with unabandonment. And also to confront disunity, misunderstanding with truth, knowledge, and wisdom of grace through faith. So my prayer for Resonate is this. 
that we would be a collection of many members and that we would be the representation of hope to our community, to our neighborhood and our workplaces, that we would be a community riddled with repentance of every story and accepting of every story that walks through our doors and to be bold proclaimers of the gospel that brings us hope to a fallen world that's lost and lonely and just needs to know that there is someone in control. So we're gonna move into communion now. We give thanks to the God, the Father, that our Savior, Jesus Christ, before he suffered, gave us this memorial of his sacrifice. Until he comes again at his last supper, the Lord Jesus took bread and when he gave, had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So church together as a body, we proclaim our faith as signed and sealed in this sacrament. And together we say, Christ has died. Christ is risen and Christ will come again. Let's pray. God, send your spirit. Send your spirit so this bread and cup may be for us the blood and body of the Lord Jesus Christ. May we and all your saints be united with Christ and remain faithful in hope and love. Gather your whole church, O oh Lord, and to the glory of your kingdom. And we pray in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. For those of us in Christ, those of us who believe in Jesus, the table is open to every one of us. Whether Jew or Greek or Gentile, it is open to all of us. And uh, we invite you to come forward here at Resonate. We do uh, communion through intinction. This is the process of dipping a piece of bread into the cup. Uh, we ask that you just be careful. There are germs, all sorts of things going around as you do that. Don't put your hands in it. Um, but uh, uh, we also have some uh, cups for those who may be concerned about that. Um, that's available um, right here as well on the table. And then we also have a gluten-free option if that is, is relevant to you. Come and receive. Receive the hope of the gospel that he has died and he has risen and he will come again. Come together, church.